0: Well, I'm, I'm excited. Today, we are we are doing the second half of Galatians chapter 3. We're studying the whole book of Galatians all throughout the summer. And you're in luck because I actually think this might be the most exciting part of the entire book of Galatians that we're going over today. It's only downhill from here. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is we're just going to jump right to the climax, Galatians three. Twenty-eight. This is where we're gonna spend some of our time today. It says this, Galatians three twenty-eight. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Paul is writing here and he's saying, "Hey, I realize that that some of you that are reading this letter are experiencing disadvantages that other people who are reading this letter are not experiencing. But what I want to say is those things that are disadvantages in our in our world right now are not actually disadvantages." to receiving God's blessing in our lives. This is a powerful scripture and it would have hit even harder to the original readers for a specific reason. That's because Jews of the time who looked kind of down on Gentiles, uh, they were taught to pray a specific prayer each morning. The prayer went like this, Lord God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave or a woman. So Paul is directly attacking that mindset as he's writing this out. Can you imagine if you were a Galatian slave girl reading, reading this letter from Paul? I mean, if she was Gen Z, she probably would have said something like, slay Paul, slay! Is that right? Did I do it right? I did it right, okay. I'm not Gen Z, so praise God for that. <laughs> well, as I, was, as I was studying the scripture, I, uh, I was reminded of the first time that I ever got to go on a mountaineering trip. And I went with Win Van Pelt, just an an epic member of Caleb's Church. He took me up Mount Baker. And uh, now you got to understand, mountaineering, you have to overcome a lot of barriers to, to go mountaineering. There's a huge fitness requirement to be physically capable of getting up there. But second, you need a lot of specialized equipment and gear to be able to safely traverse that terrain. Third, you need to actually know how to use that gear. So you need training on all that, and then it gets really difficult. You have to find what we call a weather window. It can't be too hot, it can't be too cold, the wind can't be blowing, it can't be raining, I mean, already, does this ever actually happen in the Pacific Northwest? We want the clouds to be cleared so we can actually see what's going on. And then it gets even harder. You have to go with a team. So you need a group of people to happen to be available when this weather window magically appears in the Pacific Northwest. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I had overcome all five of those barriers. And in July of 2021, Wynn and I, I took my first steps onto a glacier. It's the Coleman Glacier of Mount Baker. It's four o'clock in the morning and I've been hiking for three hours. So I'm understandably very tired. We're stepping out onto the glacier. I think I actually have a picture of this moment. Yeah, look at that. So we're, we're, we're getting into the hardest part of the climb and Wynn looks back at me and he says, hey, are you okay with this pace? Now there was a correct answer to that question. No, I am. This is way too fast. I am tired. I am struggling. So I, I swallow my pride. I, uh, I say, you know, I, we got to slow down for me to make it. I form the word no in my mouth. I breathe in. But for some reason, what comes out is, I'm good to go. Let's do this thing. And so as Wynn understandably sped up at that moment, I noticed something. I noticed something about Wynne. And, and that is, first of all, he's about nine feet tall or so. Anybody can confirm that? Nine feet tall. He's, he's probably 70% legs. And I'm not good at math. I think that make, gives him like 12-foot legs or something like that. I mean, literally, I'm not making this up. His stride is twice as long as mine. I'd have to take two steps for each of his one. I'd overcome so many barriers to be stepping onto this glacier, but I'd come across one I could never, ever hope to overcome. I think Paul in Galatians is writing to people who are experiencing barriers, disadvantages. They could never hope to overcome. It was the way they were born. It's just where they fit into society at this point in time. Do you ever feel like you're not able to summit the same mountaintops as the people around you? Maybe you're not an American citizen, and so living here, you just, you're just at a disadvantage for some of the things people around you, even in this room, can experience. Maybe as a, as a woman, you don't see a clear path to both the kids you want and the career that you want in life, and you're finding yourself have to make hard decisions that other people just don't have to make. Maybe as an introvert, uh, you just feel kind of invisible overlooked, passed over in a society that seems to reward extroverts a little bit more. I wonder if there's a way that you feel like you're just not enough this morning. Well, I think Galatians 3 has excellent news for you. The world is trying to divide us. And and if you're paying attention, you're just seeing division and division and people getting more extreme and dividing. But Jesus Jesus came to unite us. I I think Galatians 3 is trying to tell us something really powerful. This is kind of my thesis for today. What we're going to talk about is this. Jesus can unite everything this world tries to divide. Jesus can unite everything this world tries to divide. But that leaves us with still a tension, still a, a difficult question we have to struggle with. See, I still find myself divided from the people that I'm sitting across from at Kayla's Church sometime. It makes a difference in our world if you're a Fortune 500 CEO or if you're working in retail. Right? It makes a difference in our world if you had a stable childhood or if your childhood was rather traumatic. And society tends to divide us. So how what does that mean in action? What am I actually supposed to do with this information? Do I just kind of pretend like those divisions aren't they're just not important. They don't actually matter. You know, maybe in the future it's not going to matter, so I just pretend like today it doesn't matter. I don't think that's what the scripture is trying to say. But how, how can we be united when so much is trying to divide us? Well, I think Galatians 3 actually has some really, really powerful answers. So we're gonna scroll back to verse 15, leading up to, to verse 28. And while we while we read through Galatians, I'm gonna invite you to continue climbing Mount Baker with me and Wynne Van Pelt on this fateful July evening. Are you with me for this journey? I said, are you with me for this journey? Yeah. I just want to say, it's okay for us to get a little rowdy this morning. I'll, I'll do a little bit, I'll probably preach a little bit better if I get a little rowdiness from you. So kind of keep ramping it up, just kind of giving me some hollers. If I say something good, just, just, just call it out. Say like, amen, or something like that. You, are you with me? Yeah. All right, I like what I'm hearing. I like what I'm hearing. All right, let's go ahead and uh, we're just going to start reading in Galatians 3.15. We'll get the first lesson here. Galatians 3.15 says, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is, in this case, that irrevocable agreement language most likely references a person's will. Uh, In verse 16, God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Okay, what is going on here? We got laws and promises in 430 years. What's all happening here? Well, first of all, the promise. This promise we read about in Genesis 12, verse three, God gives a promise to Abraham and he says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. We understand that to be Christ because of what Jesus did Every family on earth, it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you came from, we are blessed in the same way because of what Jesus did for all of us. Okay, so what's this law? Uh, 430 years later, after God gave this promise, in Exodus chapter 20, we read this. Then God gave the people all these instructions, a list of do's and don'ts and, and ways, ways in which we were to relate to God. Now, Paul here in this, in this scripture, can we go ahead, Rachel, and put that scripture back up? Paul's trying to say, hey, this, this promise, this agreement God made is way better than the law. And it's not canceled out just because there was this law. It's better. See, the Galatian people were trying to become right with God by obeying all the do's and don'ts rather than receiving a free promise. And here's the problem with that. By, by trying to follow this law, we end up creating a division here. We have people who are better and people who are worse. And here's the first lesson I think we need to learn if we're gonna be a united church when we're trying to be divided. It's this, Christianity is not a competition. Christianity is not a competition. At 4 a.m. on the mountain, I found myself kind of getting in competition with Win, and I was at an extreme disadvantage. See, I was, we were kind of competing for who could take the longest stride. He would have an easier time climbing than I would, but here's the deal. We were not in competition. It wasn't about who could take the largest stride. We were working together to reach the summit. There wasn't competition there, and Wynn knew something about me that I didn't yet know about myself. He knew I could reach the summit of Mount Baker if we worked together, and I think some of you came to hear exactly this this sentence today. You can reach the summit and you do not need to compete with anyone in order to get there. Christianity is not a competition. Uh, In the United States, we have what maybe we call a core value. We call the pursuit of happiness. And I wanna say this, pursuing happiness is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just not the same as pursuing Jesus. Sometimes when we're pursuing happiness, we end up in competition with one another and whoever wins is the one who gets the happiness, right? We've seen that happen far too often, but Christianity is not a competition. I think Jesus was really clear about what he wanted the identity of his church to be. We read about it in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people as if they won some sort of competition and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, Jesus is talking to us right here, his church, among us, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. I just want to say, this is the kind of church I want to be a part of, where we all serve one another out of the abundance of a blessing we equally share in no matter where we came from, not where we're competing with one another for a limited amount of positions or resources or titles or anything like that. We serve one another. Do you want to be a part of a church like that? Amen. All right, that was pretty rowdy, but I think you can do better, so we'll, we'll keep it going. <laughs> I wonder if you find yourself this morning constantly competing or comparing yourself to one another uh, or, or other people, and they have something I don't, or I have something they don't, therefore, whatever. I just want to say, being competitive is not a bad thing. Pursuing happiness is not a bad thing, but it's not the same as pursuing Jesus. And if we want to be united, we need to understand that Christianity is not a competition. That's the kind of foundation that we're building off of here in Galatians 3. So let's keep going. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and reading um, the next part of the scripture, Galatians 3, verse 23. It says this, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, We were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Rachel, can we go back to that last? Yeah, yeah. So this language, uh, placed under guard, or kept in protective custody... This would have referenced a really common practice in first century Rome, which is that parents would often have a slave girl that would be a sort of live-in nanny for their kids. So this person would take the kids to school, keep them out of mischief, et cetera, et cetera. And Paul's trying to say, hey, we used to have this this babysitter in our lives, but because of what Jesus did, we've actually grown up. We actually have more understanding about, about who God is, about what he wants from us. And here's what we've come to understand, verse 26 that says, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Regardless of who you are, you are all children of God. Here, here's another way to say that, that I, I think is, is important for us to see today. Point number two is this. We don't get there unless we get there together. Amen? So at 5 a.m., we've been climbing now for like four hours. We finally we finally reach a flatter section of snow. And uh, I notice on this section of snow, there are these huge chunks of snow, it's like big snowballs. And uh, they're like waist high or so like that. And I notice that's looking like a really good seat for me to sit down and rest my legs. And uh, so I I had regretted my earlier statement that I was good to go, and I'm still very much not good to go. So I call out to win, and I say, "Win! I'd really love to take a break and sit down on this chair-shaped piece of snow. And he looks back at me really seriously, and he says, "Uh, these chunks of snow are actually signs of avalanche damage. You look over to your right, and there's this giant serac, which is a piece of ice that's slowly flowing off the mountain. And when it flows too far, chunks of it break off. These are are not chairs. These are weapons from the mountain. We actually need to move faster here. I'm like, no! No. (laughs) So I'm just breathing heavy. About an hour later, it's 6 a.m. The sun's coming out, it's beautiful. We reach this section, it's called the Roman wall very intense name for a mountain thing, the Roman wall. And it's just this super steep section of the climb. It's kind of the crux of, of this climb. And so I start climbing and, and you know, you're, you're really careful not to fall. And my, my crampon, you have these little uh, attachments on the bottom of your boot. They have little spikes that stick into the ice. Makes it easier to walk on slippery, slippery terrain. Well, my crampon, I had sized it incorrectly. I didn't know what I was doing and it popped off my foot. So I'm like trying to balance on this super steep section, taking a glove off, messing with frozen metal to like try to put this thing back on. And Wynn's got to be so frustrated with me at this point. He's like, man, I could just go so much faster if you weren't with me. I know for myself, I'm, I'm thinking, man, I, I think Wynn should just go on ahead without me. I'm just slowing him down. He would have such a much better experience if I wasn't slowing him down. But Wynn was teaching me an important lesson about mountaineering. It's that we don't get to the top top? Unless we get to the top together. Tenzing Norgay, uh, who is the uh, Nepali Sherpa who made possible the first ever ascent of Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world, he said it this way. And I think, I think this is just a great, a great kind of articulation of what, what we're trying to say. He says, we are Sherpas and we have never left anyone to die on a mountain. It is not our way. And I want to say this, we are Christians, and we will never leave anyone to die on this mountain that is life we're trying to figure out. It is not our way. Amen. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. See, since the church of Jesus, he he describes it as a church that is full of both rich people and poor people. He describes it as a church that contains both famous people and forgotten people. It's a church that contains felons and free people, male and female, black and white. Everyone is included in this church. Since that's the kind of church Jesus is describing, by definition, we do not get there unless we get there together, together. I wonder I wonder where you might be struggling this morning. I wonder if you are feeling maybe impatient with yourself, right? I I'm not. I'm not quite good enough to, to be with those people, or I'm not as Christian as those people. I just slow them down. I, I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't. You know, be united with those. Or maybe maybe you're on the other side and you're and you're like impatient with other people. Why are these people not overcoming their sin as fast as I did? Why are these people so awkward when my social skills are just incredible? Yeah. <laughs> However you might be feeling. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to be a joke, but praise God. As I, was, as I was writing this uh, in my sermon, it, it felt so much like common sense that I'm, that I'm saying here. It's, I feel like this point is this. We cannot unite unless we unite. <laughs> it's, it's common sense, right? But when I, when I go back and read the Facebook comments that I, that I put, over over something, I'm like, oh, man, maybe it's not as common as I, as I wish it were. I, that Facebook comment actually divided me from this person. It put a gap between me and that person instead of uniting, right? Or the thing that slipped out of my mouth last time I was at family dinner. Oh man, that just put, that just put division between me and, and my family. See, I, I was slipping back into the old mindset of competition. I wanted to be right, and I wanted them to be wrong. That would just make me feel better about, about myself, right? Here's another way of putting it. I wanted to get there first, but we don't get there unless we get there together, together. I think it's so important that we grasp this. If we want to be a church, that Jesus is uniting uniting well hopefully Galatians 3 is coming into a little bit more focus here for us Um, but I got one more one more point Are, are you with me still one more point and then we can summit this mountain together maybe I don't know do you think I made it you'll find you'll find out don't, don't No spoilers here if you know the story. All right, Galatians 3.27. This is the verse right before that climax, 3.28, that we read at first. It says this, and all who have been united, and I'm going to put my own words in there. This isn't in the original scripture, but I'm going to put tied in there. That's in the KJV, the King Jennings version. All who have... <laughs> All who have been tied in with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Point number three is this Jesus is the only rope that can sufficiently tie us all together. And I'm going to invite, to help me illustrate this, I'm going to invite my good friend Gemma Kim to come up on the stage. Give it up for Gemma. Now, here's a cool thing to to note about Gemma. This past Monday, Gemma actually stood on top of Mount Baker herself. She got all the way up to the top. I was a witness to it. We're super, super proud of you. Yes, it's hard, right? I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. There you you have it. There you have it. Well, so when we mountaineer, we use this rope, and we do this thing called roping up. I'm going to demonstrate this here for you. Um, So we take out this this rope, whoa. Strong legs there. And uh, we, uh, we we tie ourselves in. I'm going to show you how this works with the, set the microphone down. So I tie this knot here. And then, didn't see that coming, did you? So see how Gemma has a harness on there? I would have a harness on too. And I would use this knot to tie myself in to Gemma. Now, why do we do this? Well, as we walk across uh, a glacier, the the glacier is slowly flowing down the mountain, and the ice will begin to crack, uh, forming these things called crevasses. Nice French word. Everybody say crevasse. Crevasse. Yeah, yeah, you got to roll that R really. Crevasse. Now crevasses, obviously, they're wide gaps. You can't just walk over them, but they connect in certain places called snow bridges. Actually, let me just show you a picture of what I'm talking about here. So you see that big crevasse? Uh, You can't walk over that, but to the left there... Of, of where wind standing is a snow bridge that you can walk across. Now, snow bridges are typically pretty safe to walk across, but eventually as the, as the glacier melts, the snow bridge will collapse. Um, a common way for them to collapse is when you put weight on it, say by walking on the snow bridge. So, as we're, as we're, we're obviously, you know, being careful we're testing it out, but you might collapse the snow bridge by stepping on it. So we're roped up like this because if I were to fall into that crevasse as I, as I walk through it, Gemma would be able to stop my fall because she's tied to me, right? But let's say, let's say the other thing happens where let's say I safely walk across, but the second person putting weight actually sets it off and Gemma were to fall into that crevasse. Now Now I'm the one saving her. Notice, however, that both of us, regardless of who's climbed more, Regardless of who's stronger, regardless of who has more experience, we are, we are made equals because we're both tied into this rope. Either way, we can, we can save one another because of the rope. See, Wynn could have scoffed at me. He could have said, you're not worthy to tie in with me. You're not, you're not strong enough. You haven't climbed enough. But he knew that it wasn't, it wasn't how much climbing I had done that, made, that kept him safe. It was just the rope. It was just the rope. The rope represents Jesus. And we tie in to Jesus. And it, it is just, it, he is so awesome how he equalizes the playing field. The rope doesn't change based on who ties into it. The rope still does rope things, <laughs> right? And I just, I just love how, how equal this makes all of us. I'm curious this morning, who you might feel unworthy to tie in with, as we as we talk about this. Have you ever have you ever thought, man, I'm I shouldn't be the one praying for that person over there. They're, they've been Christian way longer than me. They have way better theology than me. I'm I'm not worthy to tie in. I I shouldn't I shouldn't tie in. Or maybe maybe you think oh, these people here they they didn't have the same trauma in their childhood that I have that just leaves me so messed up. And if I were to serve on a team at Kalos or, or any other church, I, I, just hold, I just hold them back they wouldn't be able to go, no, that's not how Christianity works. We all tie into the same rope. We are all equals because of the blessing Jesus pours out on us. None of us deserve it. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, what's happened to you in your past, that thing that you did in high school. None of that matters when we tie in to the rope that is Jesus Christ. Amen? I have another question for you. Who do you maybe feel unwilling to tie in with? I know I think this sometimes, like, man, those people down the road at that other church, I don't, I don't know, they're, they're, their methodology is just a little off. It makes me feel cringe. I don't think I could possibly tie in with them. Or, or uh, those people that have that particular political viewpoint, that I just, I just cannot get my head around that and the way you voted, and I just don't think I can tie in with you. Man, let's not think so lowly of Jesus, this rope that can hold all things together, that that we are unwilling to tie in with everybody who's on the earth. We don't deserve this, but Jesus gives it to us anyways. That means nobody is unworthy of tying in with us through our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, well, can we give it up for Gemma? She is so awesome. I'll have you awkwardly drab that 30-meter rope (laughs) off the stage. Well, I, I wanna, I wanna, um, I wanna just hit on one kind of maybe elephant in the room as we're talking about tying in uh, all being on equal playing field, and that's that's church hurt. And many of you in this room have have told me about situations where someone in the church that you tried to tie in with, you tried to link your life with, you ended up getting a little bit of whiplash. Maybe you were manipulated in an unfair way or something like that. And I just want to say, I'm not I'm not saying that that's just okay. I'm not saying that we should just be naive and let people take advantage of us in our lives. I'm, I'm not trying to say that. Here's what I am trying to say. I believe Jesus can unite even what church hurt has divided. Amen? Honestly, if you, if you stay at Kalos Church long enough, you get close enough to me, I'm probably going to hurt you. I don't want to, but that's just that's just the reality. but my hope is not in how good of a leader I am, I am, that we can still be united as a church. My hope is in Jesus Christ, the one who can unite us. I cannot even divide us far enough that Jesus can cannot still unite us. Amen. so my challenge for you, will you let Jesus unite you romans eight thirty nine I love this scripture, it says it this way. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Society does not have the power to disqualify you from tying in. Your past does not have the power to disqualify you from tying in. You do not have the power to disqualify yourself from tying in. No matter what you've done, no matter what you ever will do, Jesus can overcome all of it. Jesus can unite all of it. We are united as a church because of Jesus. Amen. I love the way. Amen, I love the way Colossians 1.17 says this, it says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the one who's holding all things together. All we need to do, this is our practical step, all we need to do is hold on to Jesus ourselves, tie in ourselves. I wonder if you've been trying to unite with people but your rope keeps breaking. Have you ever tried to unite with someone around politics? Maybe at first you kind of agree, but before long, you'll find that that rope breaks and you end up divided as you try to unite around that. Uh, another common, we, we, we try to unite around things that we hate, right? We both hate the same thing. We, we, start, to, we start to feel a bond there. But eventually, eventually that rope's going to break and we end up divided. The only rope that can sufficiently tie us all together is Jesus. That's what we unite around. That's our flag. That's what we're following, the words and the ways of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, the moment you've all been waiting for, at 7.28 in the morning, when Van Pelt and I, we stood on the summit of Mount Baker. Mm. And just, just, to, just to justify myself, I want you to notice where our waists are in comparison to one another. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. Well, we got to enjoy that summit. We we made it safely back down to the car and uh, we're driving home. And I'll never forget this moment. Wynn is just such an amazing guy. He uh, We're driving home and he looks over at me and he says, Andrew, do you like tacos? I said what I said what anyone would say after a workout that burned 3,500 calories. Yes, <laughs> yes, I love tacos. He says, all right, I wanna buy you some tacos to tell you how proud of you I am. That's what Wynn said. By the way, I asked Wyn if I could share all this, uh, and of course he was like, "Yes." I was like, "Oh my God, when will you will you be there? Will, will you be able to hear this sermon?" He says, "Oh, dang it, I'm gonna be in Italy doing a 12-day bike race." I'm like, "Win, always one up in me here, <laughs> dang." But um, man, I'm just so I'm just so thankful for Win. Let's go back to Galatians three twenty-eight says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. You need to hear this today. God's promise belongs to you. It doesn't matter how you walked in here this morning, his promise belongs to you. This is great news. But I want to also admit that we are not at this summit yet. There's still lots of work to be done in our society. Even here at Kalos Church, we still have a lot of work to do. But I believe as we keep holding on to Jesus, as we keep tying into Jesus, I believe that he will unite us. And at the end of time, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now let me buy you some tacos. Amen. Well, in the tension that we find ourselves in today as we await this summit, I want to leave you with Dr. Martin Luther King's words. This is an excerpt from the speech he gave the day before he was assassinated. He said this, well, I don't know what will happen now. We got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like any man, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land and I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming Lord. I just wanna challenge you to join me in continuing the work that this, this incredible man started. Let's unite around Jesus as a church and I think we can bring the whole world with us. Don't you? Amen, amen. Well, Father, thank you so much for the unity that you provide us. We've seen so many people try and fail to be unified, but we know we have a hope in Jesus. When we tie in with Jesus, you can make all things one. You can unite everything that this world tries to divide. Thank you so much for joining us at the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, we would actually love to see you in person. And we meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday in Bellevue. If you're interested, you can just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. And we hope to see you there. Thanks again for joining us at the Kalos Church Podcast.